Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. How many of you would consider yourself to be a disciplined person? Show hands, anyone? Okay, we do have a few disciplined people in here. Uh, I like to consider myself a disciplined person. Um, what I actually mean by that is I'll get a bee in my bonnet about something and I'll kick into it and I'll be super disciplined about it for a bit until something comes up, until it starts to fall apart. And then I'm a bit less disciplined about it, which probably on reflection means that I'm not a disciplined person. That's not really how it works, is it? Let me give you an example. Right? When it comes to healthy eating, this is one that I go around in cycles on. Right? I'll get this thing of, yeah, I really need to sort out what I'm eating. About. I need to get healthier. And so I'll make a plan Right for the next week. This is what I'm going to have for breakfast each day. This is what I'm going to have for lunch each day. This is what I'm going to have for dinner each day. And I'll go to the shop and I'll buy all the stuff and I'll make things in advance. And I'll be totally fine for a week and then maybe even the second week I'll get round to doing the same thing but then something will happen I'll turn up at community group and there'll be chili shredded beef or something like that well it wasn't in the plan but you know it's community group isn't it I'll, I'll eat the chili shredded beef and then Sunday comes around and I turn up and there's the slow cookers at the back of church. It's like, yeah, okay, seconds, there's, there's loads, isn't there? I'll, I'll have a bit more. Uh, and then I get a busy day and I get a busy day. I don't quite have time to cook the stuff that I planned. And so it's like, well, just as a one-off, I'll just get a pizza, it's fine, isn't it? Uh, and then the one-off becomes like uh, another one-off and then another one-off. And before long, my plan has completely collapsed in on itself. I wonder if you can identify with that. Maybe it's not on eating. Maybe it's on other things that you're trying to put in place in your life. You get this good desire, and it never quite happens. I used to be like this with reading the Bible as well. I'd have years and years where I'd go through this. Um, often at the start of the year, I need to get reading the Bible. I'll sign up for Bible in a year. Uh, and, you know, Genesis, I'd power through Genesis. Like, there's some great stories in Genesis, isn't there? Uh, and then Exodus. And then uh, suddenly, like, by the time it's like March or April, I'm finding, like, rather than every day, I'm just kind of starting to miss a few. Uh, and then it tails off. Or then I'll kind of try and restart and do something different. And again, it carries me a little way. And then it tails off. Discipline has never been one of my strong suits. And uh, if you're a more disciplined person than me, all credit to you. But I think sometimes when we think about these things and the practices we put in place in our life and the habits that we have, we can have a picture of them that may not be altogether healthy, which is something like I'm putting a brick on the wall. So each morning as I... um, do my Bible reading, or each morning as I go to the gym, or it could be any habit you want. It's like I'll put a brick in the wall, and eventually, once I've done this enough times, something good will happen. I'll have a healthy Christian life, or I'll have a healthy body, or whatever it may be that we're trying to do. It's like, if I do this enough times, eventually, I'll get this thing constructed. I wonder if it's ever struck you as odd when people use kind of discipline language about the Christian life. I mean, I was just doing it a minute ago as an example, but has it ever struck you as a bit weird, right? What happens is 
you'll go to some kind of event, there'll be some talk, or maybe a, a friend is having a chat with you, and they explain the gospel, they explain Christianity, and they'll tell you, it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done for you, it's his work, it's completely free, unmerited grace, given to you as a gift, Yeah, that sounds great. I want a bit of that. Yeah, a free gift of God's grace. Yeah, okay, I'll become a Christian. And then what happens, like not long after that, is someone just takes you to one side and says, I'm really glad that you've accepted this free grace where you don't have to do anything. But let me just explain a few things now that you need to start doing. What? That wasn't what I signed up for. Yeah, we know it's not about what you do. But you do need to join a church, you do need to have some fellowship with some other Christians, and you do need to start praying, and you do need to start reading your Bible, and you definitely do need to start telling all your friends about Jesus as well. I get that all of that's good, but do you see it's a bit jarring, like it's not about what you do, and now you need to do all of these things. So what, what do we make of those things? How do we understand them? Because I think when we start to see them in terms of disciplines, in terms of building this wall brick by brick by brick, I think we've completely missed the point. My mindset shifted on this a few years ago. So I was at this prayer meeting, and someone was leading a prayer meeting, and they said, what we're going to do now is we're going to spend a few minutes just enjoying God's presence for who he is. I was saying, that's a boring few minutes, isn't it? Like We've got stuff we need to pray for. We've got an agenda. We've got prayer points. We came here to do the prayer stuff. Can't we just get on with that? And then it just dawned on me. I wonder if the person who's leading this meeting just has a slightly different perspective on what prayer is, on how it functions, on what the point of it is to how I see it. And that challenged me, and I started reflecting on it. Here's another habit that I have every morning, right? I go downstairs and I turn the tap on, right? We wouldn't call that a discipline, would we? We wouldn't call it a a thing that we make a lot of effort. I've got to be diligent in every day turning the tap on. But I do it. And I do it because when I turn the tap on, the water flows and it refreshes me. So ah, maybe that's a better perspective to think about these things that we talk about reading the bible praying gathering with others maybe it's less about putting a brick in a wall and eventually it'll get me somewhere good maybe there's a a flow of God's blessing and God's grace that he wants to give me and these things are just like turning the tap on to receive the goodness he wants to do in my life there's an old phrase I love old phrases because often they're quite revealing that what we've started calling spiritual disciplines today, that's like, this is what I'm going to do, they used to call them the means of grace. I think that's just a beautiful phrase. It's something that God's going to use to pour blessing into our life. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're in Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, maybe you'd like to turn there. Um, Or if you've not, I've got uh, some key verses up on the screen. Just to set context, this is not long after Jesus had died. Uh, He rose again from the dead. He spent about six weeks with a lot of his close followers. He taught them a bunch of stuff, and then he ascended to heaven. Then he poured out the Holy Spirit upon them. So this group who'd been praying, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's there acting powerfully in their midst. Peter stands up, he proclaims what Jesus has done, and 3,000 people become Christians. And now this is a description of what that very early fledgling church, what their life 
was like. And we're really going to focus on just one verse, and that's verse 42. I'll just read slightly beyond it to give you the fuller picture of what their life was like together. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we're going to do is just look at those four things, those means of grace that are mentioned in verse 42, just show you what they are, how they work, how God can bless us through those things. And then we'll come back into a time of worship. So the first one, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when it says apostles, in, in this context, it's particularly talking about uh, the, the 12 disciples of Jesus. They'd been with him for three years. They'd learned all that Jesus wanted to tell them. And he'd given them opportunities to go out and minister in his name. And that was like the practice run for when he then ascended to heaven. And they were going to be the leaders of this early group. And you can imagine these 3,000 who've been added to the number. They've heard Jesus is amazing, but there's probably a lot of rumours, a lot of different stories, a lot of, well, I I once saw Jesus do this, and I heard Jesus do that. And to to try and get a sense on what's the real, true account about Jesus. Who better than the 12 who'd been with him that whole time? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what's really helpful for us is a lot of these guys... They wrote it down, because in in this day they were speaking it out loud, but they wrote it down, and it's what we have in the New Testament. So think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Matthew, he was one of the twelve, so that's his account in written form. Mark, he was busy with Peter, and he pretty much wrote Peter's account down for him. Luke was a bit different, he was more like a historian, Uh, so he went around interviewing lots of them and getting these different things collated together. And then John, he was one of the 12 as well. And the rest of the New Testament, again, it comes out of these guys and a small number of others. And it sits alongside the Old Testament as scripture, which means it's more than just an accurate biography of Jesus. But in some way, God has made it his word, that he speaks through it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. So think about it like this, right? You know how Jesus was truly human and he was also truly God? The same is true of the Bible. It's a truly human work in that these eyewitnesses actually wrote it down and yet it's truly God's word. Every word of it is saying exactly what God wants to say to us. And there are some visual images we're given of what the word of God is like for us. So one of them is this, it's like honey. I wonder if ever when, you've reading your, when reading your Bible you thought, wow, this is like honey, it's sweet for my soul. It's like bread, it nourishes us. It's like a lamp to light the way or like a two-edged sword that cuts to where soul and spirit divide. It's like rain, water in the land that will bring forth a harvest. See how this moves us a little bit away from, oh, it's a discipline, I've got to get up and I've got to tick off my Bible in one year box today. 
It's God blessing us in our soul. So as we want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, let me just give you two thoughts on how we can do this. The first one is this. Receive the Bible as God-inspired. Receive it as God's revelation of truth. Because honestly, there will be times, I can guarantee you, there'll be times that you read something in the Bible that jars with what you already thought. Which is encouraging in a way, isn't it? Because if the Bible only ever agreed with Tom O'Toole, then maybe it's not the word of God. Like, God's ways are higher than mine. God's thoughts are higher than mine. So I should expect that sometimes it will challenge me. Sometimes it will teach me. Sometimes it will give me a new perspective. And that's a good thing. And what I've noticed, right, is at different points in history and different places in the world, it's different bits of the Bible that people kind of bristle against. So there was a time that, um, you know, all the passages about God uh, releasing his people from slavery in Egypt, there was a time that they were pretty much banned from being talked about in certain circles. Why? Because the people in that culture, they loved owning slaves and they didn't want to hear about God's heart for freedom. So they, they bristled against that. Or a couple of years ago, uh, sorry, a couple of hundred years ago, when it was like the, the kind of hyper-rationalist movement, anything to do with the supernatural or to do with miracles, people would bristle against that. And there, there was apparently the, the Jefferson Bible where he tore out all the pages that had miracles in it. It was a very thin Bible that he ended up with. Or our friend David Devonish talks about one part of the world that he works in where just in their culture, forgiving others is just a, it's not a done thing. You hold a grudge. And so they, re, they really struggle with any bits of the Bible where there's a call to forgive those who have wronged you. And in our context today, we have our own bits of the Bible that often people bristle against. So what do we do when we come up with something in the Bible that is different to what we already thought? Well, there's two options. Either we dismiss it and say, no, no, I know best, which is like putting ourselves over the Bible, or we sit under it and we humbly learn from what the Bible has to say. Let me tell you this. Our culture is not infallible, and our culture isn't inerrant, and neither are we. But God's word is. So let's receive it as that. My second thought is this, right? If you want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, keep it close. Keep it close. You know when Jesus was out in the wilderness being tempted, what did he do? Every time the devil threw a temptation at him, he had an answer, and it was all from the Bible. But what I noticed a little while ago was it wasn't just that he could quote something from the Bible. All three of them were from the same bit of the Bible. They were all from Deuteronomy, and they were all from chapters 6 to 8. And it made me wonder, you know, is it just that, like, randomly that Jesus was, oh, it's another Deuteronomy one? I wonder if during that period of time, Jesus had been mulling over Deuteronomy. That's probably what he'd been reading, what he'd been thinking about, what he'd been pondering. And because it was front of mind and close to heart, it was there and ready and he could apply it into his situation. The ancient Jews would have the word written over their doorposts to keep it close to them. How do we keep God's word close to us? I'd suggest this, right? Find a way of doing it that's life-giving and then when it stops being life-giving, change it. Do something different. Because what we don't want to do is just fall into a rut of reading by routine and not receiving the blessing God wants to give. I mentioned earlier Bible in a year. That's a thing you could do. What I found really helpful recently is to go super slow. And now, like my Bible reading day by day, 
is one verse. And I've been doing it for a while. I've been working my way through John's Gospel, reading just one verse and just taking time to ponder it, think through the implications of it, think through what it's saying. And now I'm receiving it just in a different way to how I've ever received it before. And I'm finding a new life from it. A few years ago, I went through uh, the opposite. I was like, I'm going to read big chunks of the Bible. So I, I just found a time that I wasn't doing a lot. I was like, right, today I'm going to read Genesis cover to cover. And it takes a while. It takes like an hour or two to do it. But you see it again in a different way. Maybe audio Bible is really helpful for you to just have someone else reading it to you. Maybe getting in a WhatsApp group and, and reading the same thing as some accountability buddies and like talking about it with each other, whatever you want to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second thing that they devoted themselves to in our passage is the fellowship. The fellowship. And they talk about community. They were really committed to being community together. And they met God through being with one another. I know you've been discussing this a bit here at CCM Reddish. I was here a few weeks ago when Dan was preaching on being the body of Christ. And we all have a part to play. It's a really great message. You know, because in the West, we often think of it as something like this, right? I'm a Christian, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I have my relationship with God, and you're a Christian, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have your relationship with God. We, we see all these, like, independent relationships with God. It's not quite what God's building. God's building a body. He's building us together. You know, I once heard someone complaining, and they say, I don't really have any friends at church. I was thinking about it, so, well... I mean, you show up one week in six and you don't reply when anyone texts you. Like, what do you expect to happen? We can lean into the fellowship because the images we get for what the church is in the Bible is it's the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The truth is I'm never going to be as blessed on my own as I am with you all. And we hear that when God works through us with our giftings, that's a manifestation of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is made known through all of us for the common good. The other thing that, about the church is really important and really good to think about is it's not just people like me. And that's really important. God's building a community of different people. You know, someone sent me a message uh, and they said, Tom, I'm seeing a lot of my friends kind of deconstruct church and they just want to meet up with some friends rather than being part of the church. I was like, well, It's not quite the same, is it? Because they'll just meet up with people who are like them and people that they like. But God's doing something different. God's bringing together a group of people who are very different. People of different ages, people of different genders, people of different social backgrounds, people of different ethnicities. God's got his church and it's a glorious thing. So how do we devote ourselves to the fellowship? Again, a couple of thoughts, right? One of them is this. Actually reach out to some other people. Make an effort to reach out. Now my wife Emma and I are very very different temperamentally when it comes to reaching out to other people. Emma is great at it. She will have about like 20 WhatsApp conversations on the go at any one time. Is always talking to people, always bouncing stuff around with them. For me it's something I've had to work quite hard at to keep touching base with people because otherwise I'd just go and run in my own lane but that isn't what God has got for me. Relationships don't build on their own. So if we all just like passively sit back and wait for other people to build a relationship with us, it's probably not going to happen. Could I encourage you, lean in. As we're building church, you lean in, reach out to each other, arrange to do stuff, send that message, plan to meet up, have people round to your house, do all of that stuff. 
My second thought on how you can be devoted to the fellowship is do practical stuff that helps one another and serves. I know you guys are good at this stuff. In fact, I've heard that James Adams, part of the genius of James, right, is he can make people want to do stuff for him in a really kind of subtle way. I've I've heard what happens. I've heard this desire to make sure James has got some lunch at work so he gets his packing up done for him. I've heard that when James has got a new house and it needs decorating, people come round and decorate the house. And you know what? Actually, James likewise serves other people as well. It's a good thing. Don't lose it. Meet the needs that each other have. When people need to do meal trains, organise it, make meals for people at times of need. If people's kids need looking after, look after their kids for them. Run all of that stuff. Don't lose it as you grow. It's kind of easy when you're in the early stages, when you're building these first stages of a new plan. As you grow, don't lose this desire to serve one another. The third thing it says they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. And this Uh, It's all about communion. We'll be doing communion later on in our meeting today. And this comes from uh, the Last Supper, which was the last meal that Jesus had with his followers. And that was a Passover feast. So every year they'd gather together and they'd remember what God had done for them thousands of years before when they'd been slaves in Egypt and then God had brought them to freedom. And he passed over their judgment because a lamb had been sacrificed in their place. And that blood of the lamb had been smeared over their door so they were spared a judgment. And so every year they remember it in a meal. And part of that meal is one of the leaders of the group would get up and they'd tell the story and they'd apply it and they'd interpret it. But on this night before Jesus died, the, the spin he gives on the Passover was different to what any of them had heard before. Because usually it was all focused on the lamb and the acts of God in the past. But he said, actually, this bread, it's not just about a lamb, this is about my body broken for you and he was talking about what was going to happen as he was crucified the next night and he took the wine and he said this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins you see what Jesus has done for us means that we are completely forgiven we have complete access to God we're passed over the judgment and we're set free as we were sitting worshiping I looked over you see this bench at the front come and have have a look at it later if you want it just has the word written on it condemned but then it's kind of rubbed out, and it's like, um, kind of, <coughs> as though someone doesn't want it to be condemned anymore, as though that's not true. Now, it's probably not a good idea to stand on it, I would just say that. <laughs> but isn't that a good illustration that written over all of our lives, because we've all fallen short of the gl- glory of God, was the word condemned. But then the blood of Christ means that that word condemned is rubbed out. It's no longer true. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. And he said in that meal, he said to his friends, what I've done, breaking the bread, taking the wine, do this when you meet together. Do it in remembrance of me. So that's what we do. That's why we do it when we gather together. And some of the phrases used of it are remembering. We're remembering what he's done, but it's more than remembering. We feed on Christ. We participate in Christ. We receive Christ. It's more than just an intellectual thing that's happening. There's a spiritual receiving of blessing. It's a means of grace. So let me just give you a couple of thoughts how we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. And number one is this, actually engage yourself in the moment. You know, we often, because we do it a lot, 
It's easy to just let the moment slide. It's just part of the routine. Yeah, I've got the bread, I've got the juice. Yeah, eat, drink, let's get on with what's next. And we lose the wonder of what it is. Let me encourage you as we take communion, really engage in that moment. Reflect on what Jesus has done for you and what that means for you. And secondly, find different settings to do it. It's great that we can do it when we gather together. But it says in our passage a little bit later on, they were also breaking bread in their homes. So maybe in community group, maybe when you have people around, sharing communion with them is a good thing to do. And if you're unsure, when we do communion, if you're unsure whether it's for you or not, my question for you would be this. Do you want to receive what Jesus has done for you? Because in communion, that's part of what it is. It's receiving what Christ has done for you. And if you can honestly answer yes to that question, whether that's the start of your journey with Jesus or whether it's at any stage along the way, then you're very welcome. Please take communion with us. The final thing it says they devoted themselves to is the prayers. And it probably has in mind gathering and praying corporately more than praying on their own, although both of those things are absolutely crucial. A few months ago, I had a complete transformation in how I thought about prayer. I was at this conference, and it was on uh, the books of one and two kings, and the guy who was talking about it. You know, like when you get some clever people who are really good at talking about the Bible and really good at making it come to life and have all the stories, and you're like, yeah, this is so easy to listen to. And you get other people who are like clever and really good at knowing stuff about the Bible, but they don't quite have the, the stories and the, the way to draw you in. So you've got to work really hard, but you know if you do, there's gold in it. It, it was one of those, right? <laughs> so I was there with, um, with, with my friend, and you know he was kind of nodding off and doodling and stuff. I was like, I'm, I'm going to focus. He was just like, Tom, give us a nudge if there's a good bet. And there was one bet I gave him the biggest nudge, because he was talking about the King Hezekiah. Now, and Hezekiah was one of the kings towards the end of the books of Kings. But right at the start of the book of Kings, this temple had been built. And the idea of the temple was that it was a place of prayer, and particularly a place that the king could go to pray for the nation. And then the speaker like, told of all these different kings that there'd been. And there were 20-odd kings, 250 years had passed, and eventually we get to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the first and the only one who we have a record of, of actually going into the temple to pray. And he, was, he had this like, Assyrian army before him, and he went to pray. Then the army turned around and went home. I was like, oh my goodness, like 250 years. Because when you read these books, it wasn't plain sailing. There was lots that happened, and lots of bad stuff that happened from outside the nation, from inside the nation, all these crises And not one of them thought, hang on, God's given us this temple where we can go and pray and ask him to bless us. They all ignored it. They all thought they could do it on their own. Until finally Hezekiah did what maybe seems obvious when someone points it out. And they received the blessing of God for their day. And it made me wonder, how often am I like these kings in the middle? How often are we like these kings in the middle? We think we can power on on our own. When God's got a blessing for us if we'll just go to him in prayer. So devote yourself to prayer. I'd suggest a really good way of doing this is build a routine that works for you. I once heard someone um, cast it in terms of chairs, and they had a whole load of chairs at the front, and we're talking about them. But then one of them, they were like, this is the chair that I sit in when I pray. And I know that every day I'll go to the same place at the same time, and that's where 
I pray. When works for you? For me, I love prayer walking. But I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I pray walk at the same time regularly. Uh, I, I do the same route. I've got two or three routes, and I always will do one of them. Because I don't want to be distracted. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I don't need to reinvent that every day. It's in the diary. Now, you might have thought, hang on, hang on. It doesn't work for me. I do shifts. I've got different work patterns. I I can't do the same time every day. Let me say, if you're thinking that, that is a pathetic excuse. Um, (coughs) Because it's an easy problem to solve, isn't it? You you could have two answers. You could say, look, when I'm on nights, I'll pray at this time. When I'm on days, I'll pray at this time. It's not hard. Find a way that works for you. And make it work for you, right? For years, I heard people say, oh, when you pray, you should always pray first thing in the morning. My family could tell you, first thing in the morning, you don't get a good Tom. If you you want any kind of meaningful conversation, first thing in the morning isn't the time to do it. And yet there I was, trying to go and have my prayer times with God and wondering why I couldn't engage. Well, it's because I wasn't awake. Uh, And then it just dawned on me, well, Tom, you come alive later in the day. You're an evening kind of person. You're always uh, a lot more active and with it in the evenings. Why not pray then? Why not give that time to prayer? And again, keep it fresh. If it starts getting stale, mix it up. Do something different. Find a way of praying where you can receive the blessings that God has for you. As I wrap this up, I was thinking, what shall I do? And if this was a message all about spiritual disciplines, if it was all about how do we put the bricks in the wall, I might ask you to grade yourself out of 10 on those four different things we've talked about. And I might ask you to think about which one you struggle with most and come up with a plan for what you're going to do about it. But this isn't a message about spiritual disciplines. This is a message about God's grace to us. So instead, I just want to leave you with this question. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for God? Does your soul just pang out along for a touch of the presence of God? Because if so, then like these early Christians, devoting yourself to the word of God, to the community that we're building, to the breaking of bread and remembering what Christ has done for you and to come into God in prayer, these could be like the equivalent of turning the tap on and drinking from the, this stream of goodness that God has got for you.